Well, we're continuing our Beautiful Things series this morning. And last week we started this series and we talked about being clay and how that we are the clay, that God is the potter. And if we allow him, he will make this beautiful thing out of our lives as the great craftsman, the great artist makes this masterpiece and you are a masterpiece and the Bible says that we are God's masterpiece created for his good works and so last week we talked about clay well this week we're going to talk about fruit fruit how many of you actually like love fruit like like fruit uh, yeah okay like a lot of you how many would prefer to have fruit over say like chocolate or any other kind of dessert some of you okay not as many of you so so I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I like fruit, but my wife and my son are, love fruit. And my wife is a little disappointed that my son is a little too much like her in his personality and in his tastes because he eats all the fruit in the house. And she's not happy. She's like, that's my watermelon. Why are you eating my watermelon? She got this new fruit the other day, never seen it before, had all spikes on it. And he's like, oh, mommy, what's that? And uh, before we know it, he's consumed it all. But fruit, so I like fruit, but I'm not kind of like a fruit addict. I have a banana a day and then some other stuff. But back in, uh, uh, in the 1980s, I was like a seven-year-old child, and we had taken a trip to the United States of America. My dad was a preacher, and so he had got invited to preach at some different churches. And so while he had come over, we also took a family vacation as well. So we were in Florida. Um, and first time I, uh, well, second time I'd been in Florida, but first time I, I remembered it because I'd been there when I was a, a really young child. Well, we are driving through Florida, and, and, and Florida in the 80s was nice, but it's a little different to it is today. It's not as crazy as it is today uh, because, like, everybody just moves to Florida now, and they've built it up so much. But there was still the Disney worlds of this, of this world and stuff like that. But we were driving uh, through some back road uh, in Florida, Florida, and then suddenly my mom says to my dad, stop the car, stop, pull over. And my dad's like, her name's Joyce, Joyce, why, why? We got places to go, you know, like, like a dad does, you know. It's like, we got, we got to get somewhere. And she goes, no, no, pull over. Look at those oranges over there. Uh, and we were driving through a road where there was these bunch of orange, orange groves. And so my mother, my, we call my mother like the personality of Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver and uh, was a little, uh, uh, if there's a deal going on, my mom's right there. And so uh, uh, she was a business lady when she was younger and she knows a deal. Well, she saw these orange trees and these orange groves. She stopped. Look at those oranges. She says, let's taste them. And so my mom gets out of the car while my sister and myself were in the back, like getting down further and further. Please, nobody watching us. And so she gets out of the car. She climbs a fence and she picks off these oranges, off these orange groves. Well, this is the 80s. Anything went in the 80s, right? Today, if you drive on those roads today, I mean, they've got like barbed wire up there. It's probably because of my mother. And and they got signs all over. It's illegal to take the, the fruit and everything because it is. It's somebody's business. But my mom didn't know that. So she ta- and she takes a bunch of oranges. Then we get back in the car. And uh, we're like, Mom, why do you do that? And she goes, well, these are wonderful. Do you want to try some? And we're like, no, no, I don't want to try that. 
And then she starts opening it up and she tries it. And she's just like, oh my, these are the best oranges ever. Do you want to try some? We're like, okay, we'll try some, right? Well, we're from England, right? You don't get oranges in England, right? The only oranges you get in England are the oranges that have been shipped from Florida or somewhere else in the world. By the time they get to England, they've been frozen for about a year, and then it's unfrozen, and then they taste good. But having a fresh orange from a Florida orange grove, no matter how illegal it was to pick that orange, it was just like fruit I'd never tried before. And then I was reminded of that little story. Five years ago, we took a little missions trip to Nicaragua. And we're going to a kid's camp, and it's kind of off the beaten track, and we're going along this dirt road. And then some of the people in our, in, in our van was just like, look at, look at those trees. Look at those trees. There were mango trees everywhere, fresh mangoes. Now, I'm not a mango kind of guy. My wife is a mango girl, and uh, she'll put salt on her mango, and uh, she, she says it's wonderful. I'll let her just figure that one out. But the mangoes were hanging off, and so it, that week there were some of the people on our trip. They went off for a little walk, and they went and took the mangoes off the mango trees. Now, this time there were no signs, so this was good. And they said the mangoes were just amazing. Fresh mangoes, fresh oranges. There is something beautiful and vibrant about a tree that is full of fruit. A tree that is full of leaves is pretty and speaks of life. But a tree that is full of fruit where there's either an orange hanging or a mango hanging gets your mouth a little wet, gets the juices flowing, and it makes you want to just pick and taste. So Psalm 38, the psalmist says this, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And when I read this, I can't help but think of my mother picking the illegal fruits from the Florida orange grove. Or I can't help but think of the mango being picked from the tree that we picked in Nicaragua. Because there is something about seeing fruit on a tree, the juicy fruit is like that is ready to be eaten. This is what I like about fruit. It's sweet, but it's also healthy. It's refreshing, but it's also filling. It's natural, but it tastes great. It doesn't taste like cardboard, like every other natural thing at the supermarket. There's something great about fruit, and that's physical fruit. But the Bible tells us that we are to produce spiritual fruits. And if physical fruit is this juicy, inviting piece of food that you just want to consume, then should our spiritual fruit be the same as well? Jesus one day sat on a hillside 
And he started to give a talk, what was called his Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, there was all types of uh, different teachings. Jesus taught on many different topics, from giving to possessions, from judging others to turning the other cheek. He taught on vows and divorce. He talked about praying and fasting. He talked about anger, adultery, revenge. He, he, he listed out this beautiful phrase called the Beatitudes, where He listed uh, these amazing truths about the kingdom of God. And as Jesus is nearing the end of this Sermon on the Mount, he starts talking about his true disciples and how there are those who will come and say that they are disciples of Jesus, but they do not really belong to Jesus. And Jesus says that you will start to know these people by the fruit that they produce. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce fruit, uh, a good fruit, sorry, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, You can identify people by their actions. So here, Jesus is talking about how you can identify if someone is a good person or if someone is a bad person. And he's saying, by the way that they act and their actions, it's the fruit that they are developing. You can identify someone. What kind of tree they are? Are they a good tree? Or they are a bad tree? Are they a good apple? Are they a bad apple? Are they fruit that gives life to others? Or are they fruit that becomes poisonous to others? It's what Jesus is saying. And this is what I know as people of Jesus... As the bride of Christ, which we are called, the church is called the bride of Christ, as the bride of Christ called, formed to be called his church, as people of Jesus, it is not how we grow and how many leaves we can produce that will become beautiful to the world around us. It is about the fruit we produce. You can have a beautiful tree, but if that tree produces bitter fruit, Nobody wants the taste of anything of that tree. You can have a scrawny looking tree that doesn't look appealing, but yet if it produces good fruit, then you're going to have people who are going to come and they are going to taste and see of that fruit. So here at Generation Church, what kind of fruit are we producing? Is it fruit that the world around us wants to taste? Or is it fruit that is too bitter for the world around us? Is it fruit that is not ripe enough 
for them to be able to digest. As a church, we've discussed last week, as a church, we exist here at Generation Church to become the beautiful bride of Christ to a world that God loves. That, that, that when people see us, they will see Christ. They will see God's masterpiece. And if this is the case, then we need to produce fruit that the world is crying out for. See, it's no good us producing fruit that the world hates and the world thinks is disgusting. But we need to produce fruit that the world will taste and see and say, what was I missing? So you may say, well, what is that fruit? What is the kind of spiritual fruit that we are to produce? Well, the famous piece of scripture in Galatians chapter 5 that talks all about it, and it distinguishes between the good fruit and the bad fruit, the good tree and the bad tree. And this is <coughs> what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Galatia. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under, on, uh, under obligation by the law of Moses. And then here he lists the bad fruits, the bad tree. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. The fruit is sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's not an exhaustive list, it's just some making this point saying, this is the fruit of the bad tree. Let me tell you again, he says, as I have before, anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because what they're being, they're not being directed by, by, the, kingdom of, by the kingdom of God. They're not being directed by God. They're living to their own life. They are being fueled by something that's not of God. But then in verse 22, Paul says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now, this is the good fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So here Paul is writing to the Galatians, distinguishing the difference, the bad fruit and the good fruit. He lists out some examples. And like I said, this is an exhaustive list. There's many more examples of bad fruit and good fruit. But he lists enough to make his points. And the point is this. Those who belong to Jesus and follow Jesus live by the Spirit of God which means they should be different 
from others around them and they should be producing good fruit. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 13. And he writes to the Corinthian church about the fruit of faith, hope, and love. Basically saying you can look holy and you can do all these other religious things. But the most important thing is to have faith, hope, and love. And then he reiterates at the end, he says, but the greatest of these is love. Now, if love is the greatest fruit, then love is the goal. We need to be people of love. However, I think it's very hard to produce other kinds of fruit in our lives unless we have love in our lives. Unless love is the root in our life, then it's going to be very hard to produce the other fruits. Now, Jesus once got asked, Jesus, what, what is the greatest commandment? And if you remember what Jesus said, he says, well, the greatest commandment is this. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, which was taken from the Old Testament. And then he added on, and he says, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is saying here, love is the greatest commandment. If we want to have a fruit, it's love. It's to love God and it's to love others. But I think there's a problem here. And it's a problem that many Christians and churches do not address. We get ahead of ourselves. We think that to be, a, to be beautiful to the world that God loves, we just need to show love. We need to just love others. So we come along and we say, well, we're just all about loving others. We just need to go show love. We're people of love. We just want to show love to people. But this is the issue. The issue is this. Very often, we don't know how to love. Because we don't fully understand love ourselves. You will never be able to love God or love your neighbor without understanding that you are loved and understanding how God loves you. And so often, for so many people, they mentally understand that God loves them, but they don't understand why God loves them. They don't understand how much God loves them. And they don't embrace God's love for them. And so the problem is when we don't understand really how we are loved, it's very hard to love others. We look at ourselves, how could God love me? How how, how could God look at me with loving eyes and surround me with loving arms? God should love that person better than myself. And we know mentally and theologically that isn't the case, but so often we tell ourselves, how can God really love me? But this is what I know, love is the root. And it's the root that all the other fruits in our lives are born out of. But this is the problem with love. Love is very abstract. If I was to ask you, tell me, how could you define love? You'd be like, "Mm, I don't know. The Apostle Paul tried to do it. 
in 1 Corinthians 13. And this is what he said. You may have heard this before at some weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, love does not envy. Love is not boastful. Love does not hold a record of wrong. Paul is there trying to list different aspects of love because love is so abstract. But the other fruits are very measurable. The other fruits are very clear to see in someone's life. But unless you allow God to love you, it will be impossible to love others. And if you do not accept the love God has for you and gives to you, it will be impossible for you to really produce any other kind of fruit in your life. We are people of love, not because we are great people. We are people of loved, love because we are loved. I remember being a, being a kid, my Sunday school teacher said to us, why do we love God? And it had to be God because I wasn't that smart back in those days. Still not that smart today, but definitely not back then. Why do we love God? And I said to him, I says, well, we love God because God first loved us. And he was like, bingo, exactly, that's it. And that's the truth. We are people of love because we are loved. We love God because God first loved us. And he loves us with an immeasurable, unimmeasurable love. You cannot measure it. You cannot put your finger on it. You cannot even understand it half the time. Why would God love me? But when we allow that love to change us, we start to produce fruits. And while all the fruits are important, as, as, and as a church, we need to display all kinds of fruits, I want to share with you this morning just three fruits that I believe the world is crying out for. Three fruits that will help make the bride of Christ beautiful again to a world that God loves. And so these are the three fruits. The first one is this. Peace. Peace. The fruit of peace. It is alarming how many people are anxious and suffer with worry. We live in an unpeaceful world. And I'm not talking necessarily about peace from war, even though there's always war going on. There's someone not at peace, some country not at peace with each other. But the peace I'm talking about is the peace from the fight within. A few weeks ago, one of my friends, he suffers with Tourette's. Now, fortunately, his Tourette's are more bodily function Tourette's, like he has twitches than mouth Tourette's. Because if he was mouth Tourette's, I'm not sure how I'd put up with, you know, all the words that may come out of his mouth. But, it come, it, but it, it's, it's a serious condition. And you wouldn't know he had it unless he told you and then you started looking at what he had. So he's been going to see a counselor for his Tourette's because there's not really medication that can help him uh, much with it. So the counselor figured out that his Tourette's comes on, his twitches and things come on when he gets stressed and when he gets anxious and he becomes overwhelmed. So he was telling me that she's been teaching him like these breathing exercises and these meditation exercises in order to help him relieve the anxiety from his life and not to become so overwhelmed. And when he feels it coming on and being overwhelmed to do these breathing exercises. So 
I was there the other day with some other people and we were talking about this and he was telling everybody about these breathing exercises and this meditation. And uh, one of the girls who was in our group was saying, oh, I need to do that. She was like, I'm anxious about everything. She said, I worry about everything all the time. And then she said that and then someone else popped on me. She goes, me too. I'm always worrying. She goes, the other person said, I never, I hardly ever sleep because I'm worrying all the time. I wake up in the middle of the night. I wake up in the morning and I'm worrying. And in that conversation, there were six of us. There was myself and then there was my friend who has Tourette's. And then there were four others and all the other four shared how they worry all the time and they are anxious. It was, it was interesting to think that most of those were women. I'm not saying anything about women and men, but sometimes, ladies, we become even more anxious. You become even more anxious than the guys. And I was just sitting there scratching my head thinking, why are these people worried? They've got decent jobs. They've got good relationships. They're not starving. They've got a roof over their head. They're young. What have they got to be worried about and anxious about? But then we've also got another friend. She's a very nice lady. Great, great girl. But she worries about everything. Talk about making a molehill into a mountain. This woman wrote the definition on it. Because... If there is one little thing that she is unsure of, suddenly it becomes this big thing. And you can see in her face the anxiety and the levels of stress coming over. And I'm thinking, wow. And I said to Raquel, if anyone needs the peace of God, it is her. Just can't get sleep. Over things that I'm like, why are you even worrying about that? But we live in a world where there is a lack of peace. And what happens when there is no peace, life starts to spin. And if you've ever been on the teacups at Disney, you realize that they spin and when you come off them, you want to hurl and then life suddenly becomes unsure. The equilibrium goes and you're not sure where you are going. And that's what happens. But if we are people of Christ who are filled with his love, then this is what we should be. We should be people who produce the fruit of peace. Jesus himself says, do not be anxious for anything. He said on many occasions, do not worry. The second greatest commandment in the Bible after love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and strength is this. Do not fear, Jesus, God says, for I am with you. And this makes sense because the further you are away from the root of God's love, the less peace you will receive. My, my uh, little niece, she's now five. When she was born, she had a narrowing aortic valve of the heart, which meant that one day they live in southwest Missouri. They had to airlift her immediately to a children's hospital, specialist children's hospital in St. Louis because she was on the verge of dying. And they operated on there. She was there for two weeks. And we didn't know if she was going to live or not. We prayed for her. Lots of people prayed for her. And by the grace of God, she lived. 
Then one year later, she's just turned one. My sister is reversing out of her garage. My brother-in-law is looking after uh, her two kids. And my niece at one gets out, crawls out in the driveway, and my sister runs over her, not even knowing. She had tire marks on her face and scratches on the other side of the face. The next day, she walked out of her, well, she didn't walk. She was carried out of hospital without any injuries except for the scratches. It was an, a traumatic time, a traumatic year for my sister and brother-in-law. A couple of years ago, she was three at this time. I'm with my sister, and my niece's name, my niece's name is uh, London. And London was off doing her own thing and my sister wasn't paying attention to her and she was doing some stuff that for me was like felt the anxiety levels going and I turned to my sister I says uh you may want to keep a watch on your daughter and I'm like are you sure yeah you know she can do that and this is what my sister said some people say this is bad parenting but she said listen she says hey Xander that's what she calls me Xander she says Xander she says, when your daughter has nearly died and you couldn't do anything about it, when you run over your own child and God spares her, she says, you realize that she is in God's hands, not your hands. She goes, you realize that God is watching out for her and God has a plan for her and God is in control. She says, I stopped worrying a few years ago because I realized God is in control. Let me tell you what that is. Some may say it's bad parenting. This is what I call it, the fruit of peace. The fruit of peace. People have watched my sister and my brother-in-law and says, how could you live at peace when your family has gone through all this? Yet London's story has been able to help my sister lead many people to Jesus Christ because people are looking for peace. Where have you got this peace, they kept saying. People are drawn into the beauty of peace. They want to taste it, and when they do, they realize how good it is. Paul says this to the Philippians in Philippians 4.7, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That is the promise to those who understand the love of God and allow the love of God to change them. You will be at peace. The second fruit, and I'm going to go quickly on the next two. The second fruit is joy. Joy. I believe this world is crying out for joy. This world is full of laughter. You can put on Netflix and find some stuff to make you laugh. This world has many ways to make people feel happy. Look, we just have to have Snowball Sunday, and it makes me feel happy. I feel summer is just happy, and I am seriously sad that summer is nearly ending. I know some of you are shouting from the rooftops because fall is here. But summer's a happy time. You just feel that people have smiles on their faces in summer when it's not 95 degrees and 100% humidity. However, for all the smile veneers 
and the feelings of happiness, we live in a world that is crying out for joy. There's a distinct difference between joy and happiness. For happiness is created through events and actions, but joy is grown from within. Last week, I I met a couple who actually live around the corner from me, but I didn't meet them there. I met them somewhere else, and uh, she is British. That's how, like, like she was talking to someone, oh, there's a British guy over there. You know, like, we'll have something in common because we speak the same funny accent. So I was talking with them, an interesting couple, really nice couple, but they said, oh, you should join our group. You should hang out with us. We party hard. I'm like, yeah, that's the group I want to hang out with, right? And, but this is what the husband said. She said, it's amazing. When my wife goes back to the UK and sees all her friends, he goes, it's just a different lifestyle than it is there. It's like she's made it. It's like she's a superstar. Like they see her Gucci handbag and they are amazed. And he starts talking about how they've made it and the stuff that they've done with their house and and all this other stuff they brought. And, And I'm standing there listening to this guy thinking, man, how sad. How sad that your happiness is in stuff. How sad that your happiness is in money and possessions and treasures of this world. They weren't really happy. And this is what many people think. If I get money, I'll be happy. If I find a life partner, I will be happy. If I achieve this in life, I will be happy. If I have well-behaving kids, yeah, you will be happy. Uh, If my kids just go to school, the right school, I'll be happy. If I have the right house, I'll be happy. If I have good health, I will be happy. And yes, you will be happy, but this is what I know. Once you reach that stage of happiness, you will need to pursue more to keep that state of happiness. And the continual grind to pursue and achieve more eventually turns that happiness into sadness because you never reach that level that you want to reach. There's nothing wrong in pursuing your dreams and goals. I I think it's good. But when that is in pursuit of happiness, it will fail every time. A person who is full of joy is a person who is so enjoyable to be around because they are content with life. This is what someone who is content with life understands. That mountain there is to be climbed, not so I can conquer it, but so I can get to the top and enjoy the view. That's what someone who is content believes. It's not about scaling the summit to say, I made it to the summit. It's about finding different viewpoints to stop and pause and take in the beauty. Philippians 4.4 says this, Paul says, always be joyful in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Then in verses 11 to 12 of Philippians 4, He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. See, Paul here shows us that true joy is found in a life of contentment. We live in a world that does not know how to be content And it's crying out to be full. But joy does not come 
from what we do, say, or think. Joy comes from allowing God's love deep inside us to change us and transform us. Then the fruit of joy grows as we allow the root to go deep. And if we are people of Jesus, we need to start showing the fruit of joy. No matter what life throws at me, I will rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say I will rejoice. And finally, very quickly, we got peace, I believe the world is crying out for. Joy, the world is crying out for. But I think the last thing the world is crying out for is hope. Hope. When we think of hope, we think of something which may happen in which we have very little control. Like this, I hope the economy does not go into recession. I hope my kids go to a good college. I hope my team make it to the Super Bowl. It ain't going to happen, just to let you know. I hope we can sell our house. I hope we have enough money for retirement. I hope we have a long marriage. I hope my car doesn't break down on 95. Hope. The world's hope is left to chance. But the fruit of hope displayed by the church of Jesus Christ is quite different and inspiring. It is a hope that drives, a hope that sustains, a hope that brings joy and peace, a hope that means that tomorrow will definitely be better than today. The early church called it the glorious hope. Some called it the blessed hope. My father's generation called it the second coming. But hope. We're foreigners here on this earth. Just sojourners passing through a foreign land. For this world is not our hope. And this world is not our destination. See, so often we live in this world like this world is all there is to offer. We live in this world like this world is our destination. Instead of living in this world like we are on a journey to a better destination. Paul tells the Philippians, take hope. For the Lord is coming soon. He says this to them, that our citizenship is not in the earth, and not in this world, but our citizenship is in heaven. He tells the Corinthians to keep going until the Lord returns. Paul said to the Colossians that there is an assurance for the Christian, for the Christ follower, in sharing in God's glory. Then he said this to Titus. In Titus 2, 11 to 14, Paul says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope that our what that that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. 
He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his own people, totally committed to doing good works. This is what Paul is saying here. There's a hope in the future. And while we live in that hope, we're to produce good fruit. The problem is with the hope of this world is this. It comes and goes and just leaves memories. I've never had a hole in one. I'm a golfer. I've never had a hole in one. I hope, I pray every day that one day I will not live this life without getting a hole in one. But this is what will happen the day I do get a hole in one. Speaking in truth, right? The day I do get a hole in one will be a glorious day. But the day after, it will just be a memory. It will just be a memory. But the hope that the love of God produces will not only come to pass, but when it comes, it is here to stay. Your neighbors and friends are losing hope in a broken and hurting world. But as the church of Jesus Christ, we are to display the fruit of hope. And the more we seek the love of God, the more the hope grows. I don't know about you, but my friends and neighbors and colleagues don't have hope. And they are crying out for hope. So as a church, we can try to be a pretty tree. We can work tirelessly to be a big tree. We could even one day become a famous tree. But the reason we exist as a church is actually to become a fruitful tree. When we let Christ love us and and let his love surround us, then his love fills our lives and we start to produce the fruits that this world is crying out for. A world that lacks peace, has lost its joy and is losing hope, will start to find that there is a new way to live. It is found in the life, the death, and the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus Christ. They will start to see the fruit that you are producing and they will say, like my mother on that Florida road, stop the car. I got to get out. Look at that fruit. I need to taste it. And they will taste it and they will see that the Lord is good. So what fruits are you lacking? Wherever that may be, there's a solution. And the solution to a lack of fruit is found in going to the root, which is the love of Christ and letting your life experience his love in deeper ways. So often we say, I need to love God more. That's not what you need to do. You need to allow God to love you more. And then you will produce the fruits that this world is crying out for. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Maybe you're in this place today and you're lacking peace yourself. The anxieties and the worries of this world 
are overwhelming you. Maybe you've been on this pursuit of happiness, but you know you're not content. You know that there's not real joy. Maybe you lie in bed at night and you feel the sadness come over you. And you're crying out just to feel content. Maybe you're losing hope. You watch the news. You see things on social media. Maybe you've been passed over in your career. Or maybe you're thinking, I'll never find that person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I'll never have that baby. And the hope is just dying. Whether it's peace, joy or hope. The solution is found in opening your heart to Jesus. And saying, yes, God, I'm going to allow you to love me more. I'm not going to put up the barriers and try to figure out things myself. But I'm going to open up my heart to you and allow you to love me more. Maybe you're in this place today and you've never really experienced the love of Christ. Today's that day where you can open up your heart and say, God, I'm going to allow you in and allow you to love me. And so I'm going to pray. And if that's you today, if you're lacking the love of God, if you're lacking peace, joy, or hope, then I pray that the love of God will just come and start to produce such vibrant sweet, juicy fruit in your life that not only you will see, but the world around you will see. But I'm also going to pray for us as a church that we will become a fruitful church. We're not only just peace, joy, and hope abounds, but where we start to see patience and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and all these other manly good deeds that come from the love of Christ. So Father God, today we thank you that you love us so much. Lord, we thank you that you see beauty in us. God, that you see more in us than what we could ever see in ourselves. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you gave your life in love for us that there was no greater love than one who lays down his life for his friends and you did that for us. And this morning, God, we are so thankful for the love of God, which is so rich and so vast. The love of God, Lord, that stretches from the east to the west, that cannot be measured by height or depth or volume. And so this morning, God, we thank you that you love us. And Lord, we just come before you and we embrace that love. We open up our hearts to you. And we say, God, love us, Lord. Love us more. Lord, let let us not put the restrictions in the way of your love. But God, our hearts are yours and you are ours. And this morning, God, we pray that that love will grow deep. And we realize that when that love grows deep, then peace starts to be produced in our life. Overwhelming joy starts to grow. Hope abounds. And so, Father, this morning we ask that the fruits of the Holy Spirit will be evident in this place. 
Lord, as a church, we desire to be a beautiful church, a beautiful bride that the world that you love can see. God, we pray for our friends and our neighbors that they will get to that point where they will say, taste and see that the Lord is good. So, Father, help us to produce fruit. We ask in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Remember, you are God's masterpiece created in His image and in that that you produce good fruit. Let God love you this week. Don't let the enemy tell you anything different. God loves you. Let that love transform you and change you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.